0: Welcome to a special episode of the We Believe You podcast. I'm joined in the studio today by two amazing women. Angelica Murray is a colleague of mine in the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and the person who helps coordinate CSU's efforts for body image programming. And Sonia Renee Taylor is a poet and author, and she wrote the book on radical self-love called The Body is Not an Apology. Today's episode is a conversation between these two women and their work with helping us realign our minds and bodies with an internal expression of love. With that, I will ask them each to share a little bit about their salient identities and then turn it over to them and their conversation. Hello, I'm Angelica. I'm a 30-something.
1: Actually, in fact, I have the same birthday as Rihanna, just a fun (laughs) fact. I am born and raised in the Midwest, so I consider myself to be a Midwesterner. I also identify as a Black American, um, queer, and also a survivor of domestic violence.
2: Awesome. Hi, I'm Sonia Renee Taylor. My salient identities I identify as a fat, black, queer, neurodivergent, a cisgendered woman. I am a lover of Anastasia Duchess, my Yorkshire Terrier, and a serious macaroni and cheese maker. Those feel like my, my salient identities today.
1: Um, all right, well... I guess getting started, other than your salient identities, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about you or what brings you to do the work that you're doing today?
2: Yeah, I think that it feels important to name in this space. I don't think of it as a salient identity, but I do think it's important to name in this space that I am a survivor, a survivor of multiple levels of trauma sort of that exists both in our individual lives and in the systemic and structural world that absolutely informs the way that I talk about and think about this journey of radical self-love um, and why I think it's so important.
1: Um, So driving into the interview, we talked about this um, idea of intentional action, so to speak, or intentional Mm -hmm. actions one can take in survivors reconnecting with their bodies after an assault. Could you share some thoughts or some tools that you would have for people who are healing from trauma when their body is a primary source of that trauma or it triggers that trauma?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, I really appreciated that conversation earlier because I think it's one of those things that ties in. In the book, I have uh, 10 tools I call a radical self-love toolkit. And I really like the opportunity to connect this really specifically to sexual assault survivorship. And so one of the things that I talk, one of the tools is touch yourself or to be in relationship with your body. And I talk about it in the book from this idea of the three E's, the three ways that we can sort of be intentionally engaged in learning our body bye The first one is exploration. The second one is examination. And the third one is ecstasy. But I recognize for trauma survivors that that can be a really scary thing to do. And so one of the other tools in the book is about meditating on a mantra, which is about sort of creating the space neurologically to begin new action. And so I really suggest this idea of setting intentionality before touching one's body. What am I doing this for? What am I trying to do? And really giving yourself the time to think about it so that you can set up the sky scaffolding around it to care for yourself. So maybe that means that there's a check-in call in the beginning and a check-in call afterwards after you have this intentional time around touching your body. Maybe it means that you schedule therapy before you begin this intentional experience of touching your body. Just really thinking about what are the things that are going to create the holding for this activity. Uh, And then this idea of a mantra and a meditation on a mantra is really, again, about reshaping our neurological pathways to let in new ideas outside side of sort of the trauma built pathways that we have. If part of the fear of touching one's body is the idea that the trauma that we've been through in our bodies means that our body is not ours anymore in some way, mantras that are things like I'm giving myself permission to take my body back. I'm giving myself permission to reconnect with my body in this way and spending five minutes or two minutes in intentional meditation on that thought and then moving into the actual physical touching. And so again, this idea of exploration is just learning my body. What is this feel like? What is my normal scent? What is my normal discharge? What does my skin moisture usually feel like? Because it's easier to advocate for a thing we know in that way, right? And then examination is, how do I know when something has changed? You know, oftentimes early detection is about, I'm noticing a change in my body, but we can't notice that change if we are not actually, one, creating a baseline of information and then looking for what are the different spaces. And again, setting up these mantras that really give you access to taking that intentional time. And then lastly, this idea of touching ourselves for ecstasy, which I think is important to me to remember is that I'm experiencing pleasure in my body all day long, whether I'm connected to it or not. Right. My body is feeling things all the time, even when I'm in a disembodied state. And so what does it look like to give myself permission to have pleasure in my body again and to start noticing that in small ways? It feels really good when I'm cleaning my ear with a Q-tip. It really feels really good. It feels really good when I put lotion on my elbow. This feeling of warm water on my back in the shower is pleasurable and starting to give ourselves access to pleasurable experiences again in our bodies and then moving those to more intensive experiences even back into the sexualized space.
1: I think that's really helpful to hear some of the small ways that people can start to reconnect and find pleasure and yeah. appreciation. Cause I also think the idea of healing just in general can be really like overwhelming,
2: overwhelming. Right. Yeah. Overwhelming. And so tiny pieces, you know, little itty bitty things every day and pick a part of your body today. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to learn my arm. I'm going to reacquaint myself with this arm, you know? Okay. That's, that's smooth to oh these, the hairs are pricklier up here than they are there. And then giving yourself permission to kind of move through the process of reacquaint, Relearning, engaging in your body again. Mm-hmm.
1: Also, like the examples that you gave, because it's things that people are doing anyway. Anyway, exactly. Um- it often is like, well, I don't have time to do these things, so we put it off and put it off and put it off. But you, like you said, you're already in your body anyway and mm-hmm. you just don't realize it. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and
2: so bringing that intentionality about it is the only thing that's different. Be in your everyday day and then just again saying, I'm doing this intentionally to begin to rebuild this relationship in this space.
1: Um. So in your book, you talk about laws governing bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the government and yes. its laws and all that. It's um, laws. <laughs> and I think that we can all agree that there are a lot of laws Dictating different things about bodies, especially women's bodies. Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us a little bit about your take, if you know much about it, on the new Title IX guidance or how Title IX is being interpreted and practiced in the U.S. And how do you think this change could or will impact
0: bodies? Catch me up on Title IX. Title IX is the law that says that universities and all educational entities, so public Mm -hmm. schools, all of that, anybody who receives public funding has to create an equitable workspace. But it also said that you are free of a hostile work environment Mm -hmm. or a hostile educational environment. So you can't go to class and have people smacking you on the behind. That's not an equitable Mm workplace. And so that's really where the laws around um, interpersonal violence Mm -hmm. on college campuses have come from. In the Obama era administration, Mm -hmm. Title IX went through some changes that allowed survivors on college campuses and in institutions having more access. If you're familiar with this film, The Hunting Ground, mm-hmm. it came out and basically said, colleges and institutions, you're not doing a good job. You keep pushing things under
2: the rug. Mm-hmm. You need to pay more attention. And then attention. it changed the way that like administration has mm-hmm. to deal with mm-hmm. these things. Yes. Yes.
0: And so with the new administration and Betsy DeVos being the secretary of education, mm-hmm. the pendulum is swinging so we, back the yes. other way for mm-hmm. re- perpetrator rights. Mm-hmm. Although it's being said that it's more
2: neutral. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. OK. Thank you for refreshing me. I'm there <laughs> yes. now. I remember.
1: <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the proposed changes or how you understand Title IX to function and how, what the implications can be for survivors and like the impact on bodies.
2: What we know to be true is that sexual assault on campus is grossly underreported, right? And that when people do come forward, there's not the amount of administrative support or institutional support that survivors need, that oftentimes they face a lot of backlash and retribution. And so the idea that you can move a thing that was already in deficit to neutral by taking away the things that we were used to try to get more people to be able to feel safe enough to report and for the institution to have more accountability in the way that it's handling issues around interpersonal violence and sexual assault on campuses is ludicrous. It's like, in order to give you more money, I'm going to take away all the things that are in your bank account, even though your bank account was already in overdraft. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what we need to be doing is saying what are the circumstances that make our college campuses a space where people aren't reporting when these incidents happen? But also, what are the things that we're doing that are promoting a culture in which sexual assault and harassment and interpersonal violence are thriving in the way that they are thriving? We know that that is a function of culture. We know that that's a function of the collegiate fertile ground of toxic masculinity. Really what we're looking at is Old Boys Club. Just makes me think of Alice, you know, Walkers. We are the ones we're waiting for because they're not going to fix it. It's got to be on us.
1: So staying in this work about quote unquote bodies Mm -hmm. um, can be vulnerable and exhausting.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what keeps you motivated? How do you stay in this work?
2: how do I stay in this work? The work is, you know, exhausting and vulnerable, but also invigorating and connecting and beautiful. And so it calls me to it, even when all the other stuff is true. But I'm also learning. Here's what's great about the body. Even when you don't want to listen to it, it will make you. At some point, it will just sit your ass down if you're unwilling to sit down. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, my body being the awesome body that it is, has often done that. I'm learning to be more intentional about it so that I don't wait until it, you know, takes me out the game. But like really creating the space for more self care and creating the space for community care. After my book came out last year, I went on a 75-day book tour, some absurd amount of time. It was powerful and beautiful and amazing. And that's what sustained me over the 76 days. And at the end of it, I was like, and now I'm going to go to an island, off an island at the bottom of the world and see no one for six months. (laughs) And that's pretty much what I did. And it was perfect. It was replenishing. It was rejuvenating. It was the amount of sort of insularness that I needed after being in such a space of output for such a long time Um, and so I try to give myself that time you know like sometimes I go really 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 hard and then you know people are like what are you doing in New Zealand nothing as best as possible (laughs) so trying to balance those things yeah is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners yeah I think that one of the most devastating messages that we get when we are victims of some sort of trauma is that our bodies were wrong right that somehow my body was wrong and my wrong body is why this happened and i just want to one billion percent disabuse us of that notion right that your body did everything in its power to protect you as best as it knew how and that you and your body were the most right things in that situation and that together uh in partnership with your body there there can be healing and there can be life after trauma
1: can you tell us more about your dog? And are there
2: pictures? Oh my goodness! That was two in one. Yes, uh, there are. There are <laughs> always pictures of Anastasia Duchess. She's eleven years old. I've had her since she was eight weeks old. So now she's, you know, she's getting up there. I have just never met a dog with more personality than Anastasia Duchess. She lives up to her name. She's the six-pound Yorkshire Terrier. And oftentimes people have dogs and their dogs are doting. Their dogs are there to please them. Like, I just want to please you. It's not Anastasia. Anastasia is very clear that we are here for her. <laughs> the humans exist for her edification. And so that is the way in which she moves through the world. Like, Because she knows you're going to make that face. And so she's like, I'm waiting for you to adore me. Adorable. <laughs> Yeah. She's like my template for radical self-love. She's got it. Down pat.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. <laughs>
0: that is all we have for you in this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970 492 If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email the WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, please go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.